0: Welcome back to The Common Good on AM
1: 1160. Hope for your life. Alongside Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm, and we're glad to have you joining us on this Thursday afternoon. A little rainy day out there. Some hail, some wind, a lot of it. But thankfully, man, it's not raining in the studio right now, so we're good to go. <laughs> uh, yet. I, I keep looking up. It's pretty dark out there. <laughs> but we're glad that you're joining us today. You can always find us on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show. That's The Common Good Radio Show. Uh, online at 1160hope.com. You can also find our podcast wherever it is you get your podcast. And as always, you can text us at 68683. That's 68683. Type in CG followed, uh, by your comment. Man, before we jump into this one story that we wanted to talk about, uh, just, I don't know what it was like for you yesterday, but I just reflecting on having Paul Jacobs in here from Food for the Poor. Uh, for the last two days, I like looked at my food differently. <laughs> like, really? Yeah, it, just, it was heavy. Like I, It was a real honor to be able to be a part of a fundraising process like that. But just, I mean, you and I, most people don't listen for two hours a day, right? And so you and I did four hours with them over the right. last two days of just story after story after story. Uh, and I was... Yeah, I left tired yesterday. I left like, oh man, that's hard. And that's a good thing. We need to know these things.
2: Yeah. And I always just appreciate being around people who are clearly like living in their passion area. Yeah. Like this is a topic that I, I'm, I'm already passionate about, but being around people who, like for him, it's clearly not just a job. Like, ah, travel to Chicago, do, like, it's, it's this thing that he cares deeply about. And I think that shows, I think it comes across in the storytelling. And I don't know. I'm always, I'm always re-energized by people who are not just passionate about what they're doing, but especially if it's like, Rooted in caring for people, yeah. I want to I want to be around those kinds of yeah people. really cool guy. And we want
1: to encourage you that just because the campaign is over, you are more than welcome to still give. You can go online at eleven sixty hope dot com, and that banner is still up. We are still trying to uh, feed kids and provide water for communities where this humanitarian crisis is going on in Haiti. Uh, So really good stuff there. We would encourage you to do it. If you missed either of the last two shows and you want to get some background, you can always go find it. You can always listen to the podcast. And uh, our prayer is that more of you will give. And support. So we're going to make a hard right turn here because one of the things you and I do often on this show, it feels like over the first four plus months of this show is, uh, I'm almost surprised, man, how often we talk about stories or concepts of like Christians going after Christians and what's it, what's it look like to live following Christ in this world and where are people doing it badly? And that's a that's a whole preface to bring up something that Jerry Falwell Jr. did this week. Jerry Falwell Jr., as you know, not just the president of Liberty University, uh, but also uh, if you line up the evangelicals who are uh, in in Donald Trump's corner, Jerry Falwell's gonna be number one, right? And probably uh, campaigned with them, all sorts of stuff, and no small person. His dad, Jerry Falwell Sr. Uh, very influential in politics. And now Jerry Falwell Jr. is the president of the largest Christian uh, evangelical college in the country. Uh, So a big deal. Also a Southern Baptist. And with that in mind, he sent out a tweet the other day that you and I both were like, are you kidding me? That's craziness. Uh, And he was just congratulating a a friend of his, but then he took a shot at Russell Moore, Russell Moore cards on the table. Somebody that I have a lot of respect for Uh, Russell Moore, uh was Jerry Falwell referred to him as quote SBC deep state regime. Hmm. Southern Baptist Convention Deep State Regime. And most people who read it were like, what's he even talking about? Like what is he even saying? Uh but I think it was a it was such a glaring deal of like how our political discourse is working its way into how we talk about uh, religion and religious leaders in our, in our country, uh, and, and just taking a shot at one of your own. And so, uh, you made a funny joke about it, but really what was your take on Jerry Falwell, one of the evangelical leaders, whether we like it or not in our country, using that phraseology about somebody who's doing really good work?
2: Well, I, I do want to make sure that, uh, my joke gets its due. Go right? for it. The, uh, <laughs> the joke was, I played bass in deep state regime for a summer. <laughs> it's a, it's, <laughs> it's a good that, joke. No, it's not. Yes, it's it is. such, it's such a dumb joke. It is interesting though, um, and in some ways, these platforms are becoming more and more predictable. Yeah, you know, Twitter, Facebook. It's. It, I almost am not even surprised anymore by outrage on the left uh, and the right. Yep. Um. But you have mentioned, and you know, you're probably much more familiar with Russell Moore in general than I am. Uh. But some of this stuff to me seems like, uh, like what should be private disagreements set out on the public stage. Yes. Like sometimes I I watch these things go back and forth, and I think where. Where, where did all the adults go? Where like, where did, I don't know, like, we're picking fights back and forth and, uh, and I'm not saying, I'm not saying that's you or I either. No, like, absolutely. I'm, I'm, I'm most certainly. We're pointing out
1: the fights. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. Totally.
2: Yeah. We're, you know, in some ways kind of, you know, we're dirtying our own hands by even weighing in on it at all, to be honest. But there, there is just something to me that I, and we'll talk about this later in the show. Actually, I posed a question about barriers for your Christian faith. What are the things that make it really hard to be a Christian? And one of the things that people kind of kept, uh, indicating was it's arguments like this, or it's mudslinging back and forth like this, or it's, uh, you know, it's the cross and the empire kind of, kind of embed together, which yeah. makes it difficult for a lot of people to, to really see a way forward. Yeah. Uh, Russell Moore runs the Southern Baptist Convention's
1: Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission. So it's part of the Southern Baptist Convention and it deals a lot with social justice issues. And, uh, he's kind of, uh, the voice, um, uh, for, for policy, but also just trying to be, uh, a little bit of the conscience of the Southern Baptist convention. And so for one of the most prominent Southern Baptist, that being Jerry Falwell to come down on him in this way. And just this phrase, deep state is kind of where I want to end this at is just, it is so clearly, you know, the deep state is a conspiratorial term referring to a group of people embedded in a larger group or believed to be in some sort of secret manipulation to control a group. You just said that off the top of your head. Just no, no, a I'm reading the article. <laughs> you, you, just sold, you just sold me out. But uh, it, so really what Paul is saying is he believes more as part of a secret group of influential people inside the Southern Baptist trying to undermine the authority of the church. It it just sounds like when I turn on the Today Show, it sounds like what politicians are saying about each other. And it just, for me, highlights the ugliness of when our faith starts to look really political, not when it's in politics, but when it literally is just mirroring politics and mirroring the discourse of the day. And I think one of the things you and I have hopefully done a good job at is to try to say, can we as Christians kind of elevate our discourse above the nastiness that's in our culture? And when we have our quote unquote religious leaders not able to elevate above it, it becomes really hard to hope that individual Christians were. And I think we're seeing the effects of that.
2: So, so in your opinion, is there ever an appropriate time for nastiness? Maybe not nasty, maybe in terms of Christian public discourse, mm-hmm. is there a time would ever be appropriate, do you think, for a Christian leader of some kind? Um, Get getting real aggressive, getting, and I don't want us to, I don't want to use the whole Jesus flip tables and crack <laughs> Like So sometimes we need like, like, is there a time for like sharpness? And you yeah. were talking last week about Jesus calling, you know, religious leaders, broods of vipers and yep. dogs. Yep. Like that's yep. aggressive. Yep. Some might even say nasty language. Is there ever uh, in your opinion, an appropriate time for that?
1: I think there is. What, what feels weird to me is I'm going to presume that Jerry Fowell did not pick up the phone and call Russell Moore. Mm. I'm going to presume that. And I just think history says that. (laughs) And this is a personal attack, right? Like, it's just kind of muddying. I do think now, really, to answer your question, I think when uh, the same way Paul called out Peter publicly, uh, like, I think there are times where, especially when there's people of influence who might be leading people astray, that there are times to stand up and be like, hey, you need to be confronted about this. This feels differently. But the question you raise, I think, absolutely. But I would hope that you're able to go to that person first and be like, Hey, I want to kind of work this out with you. And then maybe we can go public together and discuss this, but maybe let's do this kind of behind closed doors first. So civility is the word. (laughs) That's the thing we're looking for at a base level. And so uh, sometimes I, you and I, we always roll our eyes when we come across these articles and we feel like we've got to tackle them because they're important. But, uh, I do kind of you know, it's like, oh, again, and we what we want to do and we hear from so many of you is this desire for exactly the words the angels use there, for there to be more civil discourse when our country isn't seeing that this is a great way for Christ followers to look differently. Uh and so if you've got opinions on this, 68683, we'd love to hear from it or from you, or you can do it on Facebook as well, well, coming up next, uh, we were just talking that over the last two days we've been uh, dealing with and talking to uh, Food for the Poor and trying to support them. Uh, so we're going to spend a little bit more time with them, not the bulk of our show, but just one or two more segments, this time with a man by the name of Todd Chapman uh, from Food for the Poor. So that's coming up next here on The Common Good on AM1160, Hope for Your Life. Welcome back to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life, alongside Ian Simpkins. My name is Brian Fromm, uh, and we are excited to be joined in studio today by Todd Chapman. Todd is from Food for the Poor. So, Todd, thanks for joining us today. Hey, guys. Delighted to be here. It's really fun to have you here, and we're really excited. Ian and I, um, you know, there's lots of things we like doing on the show here, but raising money <laughs> for organizations that are kind of changing the world yeah. and, and literally giving people life. Uh, and you came in and said, hey, what are we doing today? We're saving families in Haiti. And you and I were both like, we're in, we're in. Yeah. So so uh, we're excited you, to be a part of a station that uh, is going to do something like that. And so uh, with that in mind, Todd, uh, could you
3: give us a little bit of background on Food for the Poor? How are
1: we helping save lives in, in Haiti?
3: Yeah, absolutely. So Food for the Poor is actually one of the largest relief and development organizations in the United States. Hmm. Uh, but oftentimes when people ask me this same question, I tell them that they're like, are you serious? I've never heard of food for the poor. How can yeah. they be that big? I've never, I've never heard of them. Great question. It's actually because food for the poor, even though 37 years old, even though working in 17 countries, uh, you know, throughout the Caribbean, and Latin America, and literally having saved hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people yeah. with food and water and built hundreds of thousands of homes and schools, all of this amazing stuff that has been done through food for the poor, thanks to various generous, uh, very generous donors. Hmm. Uh, food for the poor does not take virtually any of that money outside of doing some campaigns on radio stations like this. Right. You're not going to see us on network television, you know, uh, just not spending money marketing the charity that way. And so, uh, you know, that's why a lot of people haven't heard of Food for the Poor. But when I begin to tell them about the impact that Food for the Poor, thanks again to donors, people just like you who have given, and you talk about, you know, feeding uh, literally hundreds of thousands of people every day in some of the poorest countries on this side of the world. Mm. And we talk about building uh, well over 100,000 homes in a country like Haiti, which is the third poorest country in the world, the yeah. poorest country on this side of the planet. Then people begin to go, oh, so I get it. You're actually taking money instead of buying TV ads. Mm. You know, you're putting that into saving people. And that's what we're all about. Yeah, so no now specifically what I uh, wanted to, uh, you know, talk about today is a situation that is very serious, very life threatening in Haiti, but it's not getting a lot of uh, virtually it's getting no mainstream news coverage. Mm. Uh, and that is that uh, because of a three year drought in Haiti, mm. The people there are starving to death and they don't have clean, safe drinking water. And so that's your opportunity today to reach into that uh, that hopeless situation and uh, minister to these hurting families by giving them food for a year and water for life through food for the poor. Wow.
2: Okay, so before I ask my next question, yeah. how can people give? Just okay. I want to make sure that information is out front as much as possible.
3: So, first of all, if you go to 1160hope.com, the station's website, you're going to see a Haiti humanitarian crisis banner. Uh, it's kind of like, a, it's not really a red, but it's kind of a red color. Okay. It's okay. going to pop out at you. Nice. <laughs> uh, so, you can click on that <laughs> banner, make your gift online. Introverts. That is your solution. You want to save a life? You just don't want to talk to anybody yes. while you do it. So win-win. <laughs> it's a win-win. That's great.
2: That should be called the introvert option yep. on it, the it, website. It That's totally good. So Just do that. That's an
3: easy way to do it. Uh, just have your credit card out. You can put the information in there. You can make a monthly gift. You can make a one-time gift. Every option is on there. And you can even use PayPal. Uh, that's the way I give to Food for the Poor. I do it through PayPal. That's so awesome. It works out well. Uh, if you're in your car, grab yourself, or even if you're not, grab your cell phone, otherwise known as your phone, yeah. and uh, do this. Now, this is going to be kind of weird. It is a number. It does work, but it doesn't sound like a, a regular phone number because it's not. So you're going to dial pound 250 or hashtag For the younger side. There you go. Like like Ian. (laughs) Now, Brian and I would be pound guys. Ian would definitely be a hashtag guy. I'll accept that. I'm going to get cardigan. I earned that. That's right. right. All right. So hashtag or pound 250. (laughs) Hit send. It's a phone call, not a text. And the system will come on and ask you for a keyword. And then you just say, I want to give. You say that out loud. You say... Yeah, <laughs> I guess you could think. Just it. wanted to make sure you could text. You know, want to be very clear. No, I, yeah, you're right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, you're not texting it. I don't think you can just think it either. I'm pretty sure we Unless don't have you that text, technology yet. If you've got like the new Galaxy nine thousand and six, maybe it's maybe coming. that reads it's your coming. mind. But no. So you say I want to give, and then that will connect you to the operator. You can make your gift. And so what we're asking you to do is, would you prayerfully consider giving a twenty seven dollar monthly gift? just for the next 12 months or Mm. it's a $320 one-time gift. And guys, here's the incredible part with that food for the poor can take that generous gift and feed a family of four in Haiti food for a year and give them clean, safe drinking water for life. And we'll talk more about how we can do that. But uh, I like to position it this way. It's family saving families. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's great. So it's your family saving a family in Haiti by literally saving their lives, uh, these families are waking up again today. They're going to go to bed tonight. No food. Mm-hmm. No way to get food because they're in the poorest country in this side of the world. And the drought has wiped out their little garden where they used to grow food. It's gone. Mm-hmm. It's gone. It's been gone. Wow. And uh, water is, if they can find it at all, wa- water is miles away. And it's water that's going to make them sick. So you can make a life-changing Absolutely, difference right Yeah.
2: Now. No kidding. All right. So you teed it up pretty perfectly. How how do you actually do that? Food for a year. Yeah water for life for what honestly to me sounds like a pretty small dollar amount. How is that even possible?
3: Yeah. So $27 a month does that for a family. So you know what we're talking about less than a dollar a day. So food for the poor has been around for 37 years. And in those years, God has just brought incredible partnerships, Mm. uh, most, if not all, of the food that you would be providing to one of these families in Haiti is actually donated to Food for the Poor by, wow, you know, companies that are in the food business, or even by other countries. Wow. Like Taiwan is a major donor of, of rice to Food for the Poor. No kidding, they grow more rice than rice. I mean, it was just <laughs> crazy. And so, and the, it's an amazing story. I'll have to tell another time, but the, the, the leader, like the president of Taiwan, uh, is a born again Christian mm, and man, grew up in incredible. poverty and wow. God let him out of that. So as part of his way of giving back, they donate literally tons and tons and tons of rice to food wow. for the poor. So if the food is free, all you got to pay for is shipping. And so right. we can actually feed a person for about 10 cents a meal. Wow. And so everybody in a food for the poor feeding program gets two meals a day, every day for a year. Man. Okay, so that's the food part. Now water, we're gonna take five dollars of every uh eighty dollar it's eighty dollars per person basically okay. a three twenty for a family of four, okay. right? You're- Following the math. After doing the math. math. Okay, yeah, right, yep. I got my to make sure I didn't, didn't lose you. Because Brian, I knew, had it. Ian was a little bit sketchy. I, I, I can see like this. Very very oh, we need him on all. Did, Did you pay him off? off? Did, Did you get already it. give? Is that what happened? No, I'm listening to the show. I know how this works. Because Ian was like, oh, no, it's math. math. It's math. Classic <laughs> homeschooler it's, over here. There you go. All right, so we're going to take we're gonna take $5 of every $80 gift per person. And we combine those together. And that goes to build a water well or a solar-powered water pier. Purification unit mm. right there in these in these people's communities. These wow. things are amazing. I've actually drunk the water out of both with my own mouth. Mm. So you know, it's not just okay water. Yeah, you can it's not just, yeah, it's not just you know good water by Haiti standards. Right. I drank the water. I'm terf- perfectly perfectly. Let me say that again. I drank the water. I'm perfectly fine, in yeah. spite of the fact that my mouth doesn't work so much. That was no. not the fault of the water. Yeah, that was yeah, not right. the water. That, that, that may have been coffee, but it wasn't water. No, but it's a beautiful solution. Because what these do is they pump out 10,000 gallons of pristine drinking water wow. every day. Wow. It's enough for a community of three thousand people, and they're going to last. This is the best part. They're going to last thirty to forty years. So that's why wow. we say water for life. Literally, in terms of duration. Yeah. But also, you know, without clean water, you, you can't live. Exactly. Oh, so it's good. water for life, and uh, you know, and all of this comes hand in hand with local churches, local parachurch mm-hmm. organizations. So it's always wrapped in the good news that Jesus loves you. That God's great. heard your prayers. He's answering your prayers through Christians in America who know you're suffering and just want to do something to help you out. That's fantastic.
1: We're really excited to be joined by Todd Chapman from Food for the Poor. And again, how you can uh, give to support to help save families in Haiti. Dial pound or hashtag 250. And when prompted, just say, I want to give. Okay, Or you can go online at 1160hope.com. You'll see the banner there. Uh, Again, for $27 a month or $320 a year, you can feed a family of four uh, for an entire year. there is a We all spend that money on a lot of bad things. I think I spend that at Starbucks in a month or two. And to instead use that money for that sort of do thing. you spend $320 no, at Starbucks a month? He's, he's got a real problem. You're yeah. worse yeah. than I am. That <laughs> might have been some pastoral exaggeration, but I do spend a lot of money there. And you could do something really good here with your money to help save families in Haiti. You've been listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Welcome back to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life, alongside Ian Simpkins. My name is Brian Fromm, and we are really excited to be joined in studio again by Todd Chapman. Todd is from an organization called Food for the Poor. And essentially what, what Food for the Poor is doing is trying to help save families in Haiti uh, by getting food for a year and water for life. Uh, and so some background, uh, we here's basically all our cards on the table. We want you out there to give. Uh, we want to use uh, the resources we have to support this great ministry that is literally saving lives in Haiti, so you can do that this way uh, on your phone if you hit pound or hashtag or whatever you think that is, hit pound two fifty <laughs> uh, and it 's a phone call, not a text hit pound two fifty and when prompted, just say "I want to give," and then you 'll be able to give or you can go to our website at eleven sixty hope dot com and you 'll see a banner to be able to give uh todd i uh, you've taught us a lot of the specifics about how things get to Haiti and the difference it makes. You've been there personally many times. Uh, so I'm wondering if you've got a story or two, why does your heart break and why do you give all of this energy and this time towards this ministry? I'm sure it's fueled by what you've seen over there.
3: Yeah, it's um, well, you know, I've been with food for the poor for uh, eight plus years, uh, about the time I joined Food for the Poor and I found out that I'd be going to countries like Haiti and then getting on radio stations and mm-hmm. talking about Haiti, I thought, well, you know, I've heard of Haiti. <laughs> I'm not really <laughs> sure where it is. Yes. Like, like on I, a map. Yeah. yeah, I, yeah I, I literally thought it was like over near Africa somewhere uh-huh. over on the right side right, <laughs> right. Of, of the map. And I thought, well, that may not be right. So huh. Google. And I, I was actually shocked to find out that Haiti is literally the next door, a next door neighbor of the U S if you get on a plane in Miami or, or Fort Lauderdale, uh, it's a 90-minute flight, about yep. 500 miles. Wow. So if you've ever been to Jamaica, maybe you've been to the DR, yep. uh, Haiti is actually attached to the DR. It's okay. the other half of the island. Yep. Uh, and so they're our, they're our next-door neighbor. Um, but, uh, boy, you know, you could it couldn't be more disparate. I mean, you know, here you, you fly from the opulence of South Florida, right. right? And then 90 minutes later, you land in some of the worst living mm. conditions on the face of, of the Earth. I mean, it's absolutely terrible. you got the average family. It's 11 million people to live on this small, about the size of Indiana. It's all the bigger that Haiti is. And uh, 10 million of those 11 million people live in what we call abject poverty. That means you've got less than $2 a day U.S. income. Wow. All right. So now let's what does that look like? Let me try to put it in like American economic terms (laughs) because I've had people say to me and I totally appreciate this because I would think I thought the same way until I got exposed to it. Well, yeah, but it's a, it's in the developing world, so stuff's cheaper. So they just, yeah, they just can live on less. Yeah. Well, no, here's the deal, for the average Haitian, ninety percent of your income is going to go just to buy food. Mm. No kidding. Wow. So let's say now let's bring you back to Chicago. Yep. Yeah, okay. Yeah, right, so let's right. say you make a hundred thousand dollars in Chicago. Mm-hmm. How would your world be different if suddenly ninety thousand dollars <laughs> of that hundred thousand just yeah. went to buy food? Right. Uh. What? How would you live on what's left? Yeah. Because now you have got housing and everything else. That's right. You have a non functioning government. You have virtually no jobs. The unemployment rate in Haiti's north of eighty percent, and even within that, the employment rate of twenty percent, uh, most of that's not regular jobs. Mm, it's yeah. like day labor, wow. where you go out and you hope somebody hires you to break rocks. And yeah. so, and now you layer on top of that, you get a hurricane. You know, about yeah, right, every year, right. it's right in the middle of Hurricane Alley, and now this three year drought. Mm. That is just absolutely decimated the country of Haiti. And so it is in dire straits. Guys, I first first went to Haiti in 2011, about a year after the devastating earthquake of 2010, killed 300,000 people in three mm, minutes, geez. just decimated the country. Um, experts now are, are likening it to uh, that level of the humanitarian crisis, albeit in different form. Mm. But every bit is life threatening because literally families don't have food. They don't have water. And there's no way to get it. Wow. wow. Well, if you're just joining
2: us, we have in the studio Todd Chapman with Food for the Poor and kind of cards on the table like Brian said we're asking people to give and they give right now I think if I could be this bold this is kind of one of those issues especially if you're a Christ follower the the scripture's not uh, murky about this particular (laughs) topic how how we care for the least of these Mm. seems very very high in the priority of Jesus you can do that a couple of ways you can go to 1160hope.com and there's a food for the poor banner right there Mm. I'm told it's a nice reddish color so you'll be able to find the banner (laughs) says
3: Haiti humanitarian crisis right,
2: there's another really uh, creative way that you can do you can hit uh, pound or hashtag or a waffle symbol, whatever that is, uh, 250 on your phone call. Yeah, it might be a waffle symbol. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Tic-tac-toe. Tic-tac-toe. That would have been better. That would have been funnier. We'll we'll edit that in later. But you call that number and say, I want to give, and uh, that'll prompt you to give, and we are uh, asking you to not not just perfectly consider giving sometime in the future, but to to Mm -hmm. give right Right now now. because we think it's that important. And one of the things that I know can be really overwhelming is people can, you just get hit with statistics and you hear stuff about a a world that's different than yours, and I think sometimes people just... Shut down because yep. that's so overwhelming yeah. Is there a story or two
3: oh, <laughs> That you've experienced personally to kind of Like bring bring that home for us a little bit Yeah so many stories you know again I've been to Haiti More than a dozen times my mm. challenge is a, a lot of times the stories kind of just begin To over time meld together but right. A couple that just have always stuck out And always will uh, so I was in Port-au-Prince And we were visiting this little uh, Orphanage called uh, uh, Renaissance mm. Uh And uh, so this mom named Carol she lived in Port-au-Prince and uh, she wasn't running an orphanage didn't mean to but she started seeing these abandoned kids in wow. the alleys and the streets of port au prince and she just couldn't walk by and leave them there because what happens in a country like haiti if you have a, a special needs child or if your family is so poor it's not uncommon for kids just to be discarded i mean if you're special needs especially because there's no way a family going to be able to take care of you wow. they don't have the ex- they don't have the money it's a hassle you know these kids become a burden and and so they get discarded. And um, so anyway, so Carol had started taking in these kids. And when we go, when we take groups there, we always take people to, to visit Carol and the kids at uh, Renaissance d'enfance And now she's got like 20 some kids there at any given time. First time I went there, the kids literally were uh, she had these 20 kids and uh, she had finally got to the point where she was like, I need help. Mm-hmm. I'm in over my head. She reached right. out to food for the poor. We we went I was literally on the very first trip when when a food for the poor person went in there to Mm. see what was going on. We Mm. were we were on our way to the airport to leave the country and the office said, hey, you guys have time to go see this lady who's got apparently 20 kids. We went there. We were shocked. Mm. We were shocked. I remember I remember holding this child naked uh, like skin and bones, totally lethargic. He was starving to death. He was sick. I don't know what all was wrong with him. Uh, anyway, long story short, Food for the Poor began working with that uh, with that orphanage. Uh, every time I've gone to Haiti since, I've gone back to that orphanage. Mm. And I have seen, I've watched these kids grow up. It's almost like they're my adopted kids in yeah, another country. Right. Uh, and I don't know all of their names, but I go there and every time I see them, I'm like, that's... That's and I do know Ainsley. Ainsley's my little buddy. He was like the first kid that that I held, um, you know, in all of his nakedness and all of his hurting. And he's grown into like this seven year old little vibrant guy. But where would these kids go if it not for, you know, someone like Carol who took them in and if not for an organization like Food for the Poor, who resourced her and friends, it all comes back to you. Because food for the poor can do nothing, can do nothing, not offer a meal, not offer a drop of water unless people like you say, you know what, I'm going to help God. Mm -hmm. What can I do? And that's the beautiful thing about it. You know, Ian, to your point. Scripture is not murky. It's abundantly clear. Yes. Sadly, uh, one of my burdens for for the American church is we we have somehow in our theology gotten to the point where we view serving the poor as optional for mm-hmm. some right. reason. I don't know how we right. got there because Scripture is pretty clear about it. Right. But I just want to remind you, friend, God has resourced you uh, to make a difference. I don't know what that looks like spe- specifically financially for you, but literally a cup of coffee yeah. Yeah. every month can make a life-saving difference That's because, right. you know, I mean, seriously, you can feed one child food for your water for life for $80 a year or an $80 one-time gift. So I just ask you to pray, say, God, I know you have me hearing this for a reason. Now, what would you have me do? Absolutely. Again, you've been listening to Todd Chapman
1: from food for the poor Uh, and Ian and I, we uh, want our listeners to give, not because we want to feel good or you guys need money, but because these kids in Haiti and these adults, Mm -hmm. they need food, they need water, and we have the ability to do something about it. And so, Uh, If you feel led to give, you can do so by uh, dialing pound 250 and then when prompted, say, I want to give. Or you can go online to uh, 1160hope.com and there you'll find a banner to just click on and be able to give. This is, again, for food for the poor, saving families in Haiti. Todd, thanks so much for joining us. My pleasure, guys. Absolutely. You're listening to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. back to The Common Good on AM 1160 Hope for Your Life alongside Ian Simpkins. My name is Brian Fromm. You can find us on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show. That's The Common Good Radio Show online at 1160hope.com. You can text us at 68683, type in CG, followed by your comment. Or you can find our old podcast wherever it is you get your podcasts. Uh, you and I were joking off air of how tired you are. And I was thinking, oh yeah, it's raining. It's down. I'm like, oh wait, no, he doesn't sleep anymore. Yeah.
3: yeah. <laughs> One it's of those gone, days has huh? gone.
1: Right. <laughs> yeah. What is that like? I, I have a hard time even remembering just the, just the blur of it. You just feel like you walk around in a fog all day.
2: Yeah. It depends on how my day is structured. You know, if I yeah. have to uh, like lead or instruct or in any way, be uh, conscious that's that's always a little there's a there's a twinge of fear. And it's, as I happen in my car, like, I don't know that I, I don't should know be trusted I with the microphone right now. Yeah, that is that is scary <laughs> a,
1: if I have to lead or drive or do anything. Right. So, uh, yeah. So uh Ian and I are both pastors. Radio thing is not our main job. And so Ian is uh, teaching pa- the teaching pastor over at Community Christian Church in Naperville, the yellow box. And I am the lead pastor at Four Corners Community Church in Darien. And uh, so one of the things we've tried to do since we've started is not to make this a show about pastors, but also on the flip side is to give people a window. Most people out there go to churches, you know, pastors. And so we do we try to use an opportunity to give people a window into what it's like to be a pastor. So we kind of try to walk that line of like not everything about pastors. Hopefully most of you out there aren't pastors, but then also to say, hey, this is our reality and we want you to kind of understand. And with that in mind. Uh, there is something that plagues pastors that I think plagues a lot of people, uh, in our culture right now, especially in the suburbs, but I think is, is almost, um, more prevalent occupationally with a pastor. Hmm. And so Christiane today wrote an article, posted an article the other day titled this, Everyone's Pastor, No One's Friend. And it was this concept of, uh, of the role of the pastor actually lending towards loneliness. Yeah. Uh, that every, you know, everybody, especially in church, much of your life is centered around your church. Even though we try to have friends outside of church, you spend a lot of time there. And so much of your time is there, but you're always viewed as different, right? You're always viewed as a little different (laughs) or a lot different. And so it becomes hard to have genuine natural friendships, uh, that aren't the pastor parishioner deal. Uh, and so I'm wondering, um, is that a reality for you? Is that something that you think is true? Uh, and if so, or if not, how do you go about combating that?
2: Uh, I think it is true to a point. I don't know that it's actually more true of pastors than okay. anybody else necessarily, but pastors, because um, there, there is sometimes I just think a lot of people are unsure. I don't know how many times you've been asked in your career, what do you actually do? Mm-hmm. I think that is an indication that in a lot of ways – Unless you actually are in full-time vocational ministry, it, even just the fuzziness of the logistics can contribute to sort of this, oh, I wonder what goes on in their head. Like, I think that is in some ways the impetus behind some of these studies. But yep. uh, like I found uh, an article um, a couple of weeks ago, and it said this, that research shows that 40% of pastors have considered leaving the ministry in the last three months. Wow. Over 70% of pastors experience loneliness and have no close friends they trust. Seventy percent have a lower self-image now than when they first joined the ministry. So uh, this article goes on to unpack why this author thinks that's the case. But yeah. the, but the very fact that those statistics and you, I mean, statistics are statistics. There, there's all sorts of different studies, and you can find them for yourself. But there there is something tough, uh, I think, about the way that we've structured pastoral ministry, particularly in the West, that does perpetuate some of this loneliness, yeah. some of this. Pedestal holding some of this um, this Otherness and I think a lot of that Comes down to how The church responds to Struggle and failure mm. and I think a lot Of times pastors will uh, Unfortunately say like "Well, I can't Help that they put me on a pedestal and I say yes you absolutely Can yep. you absolutely can help yep. that um, Well I think often the reason that We don't is because Man if I re- if I really let People know how Jacked up I am right now or how much I'm struggling in my marriage or Mm. God forbid, you know, some sort of substance or pornography. You know, it could cost me my job. So I think a lot of times rather than bringing that out into the light where we can find healing, you know, pastors tend to just sort of be inclined to shove it deeper into the shadows. And that is a recipe for loneliness. So I don't, I think it's more than just, Oh, pastors need to be better at making friends, be more extroverted. I think it's actually, it's much more about infrastructure and how we frame uh, just how safe our communities are to yeah. to be our honest selves. Yeah. Do you think that as we talk
1: about friendships, uh, let's pretend we've got the infrastructure, right? You've got this yeah. kind of thing. Do you think still with that said, uh, a pastor can have the majority of their good friends be within their church? Or is there something unique to being a pastor, Parishioner relationship in which the pastor really needs their good friends to be outside their congregation.
2: Yeah, I don't buy that at all. Actually, I, uh, I didn't think you would. Yeah, <laughs> and I was I was taught it early, yep. and uh, I think, and again, well, you know, I'm 36. I'm sure yep. 20 years from now, I'm like, I'm e- 36 year old. Ian e- had no idea what he was talking about, but yep. I I have uh, I'm finding a greater balance now than I ever have in my life of inside and outside. And a lot of that probably depends on church size. To be honest, there's certainly some dynamics at play there, but I think honestly, when, when we perpetuate the idea that you can be a pastor, but none of the people quote, you know, in your flock yep. can also be your friend. Yep. What is the thing behind the thing that we're actually saying that yep. to lead means that you can't also be vulnerable. Mm-hmm. That is the subtext. And for us to say, lead this place, but don't make any of your friendships here. Yeah. Like, oh. uh, that really, that breaks my heart, to be honest, because yep. I think a lot of people probably believe that. And it's, uh, it's, I think what's led to, because the church, if you'll, if you'll let it, will consume all your time. It will. All your emails, you know, people that don't go to your church aren't telling you your sermons are too long (laughs) or the music's too loud, right? If you let it, that will be the bulk of your interaction yep. and all of your emailing and all of your strategy. And if if that thing, that place, that gathering, that ecclesia uh, is also not a place where you're allowed to have close friendships. Um, to me, that feels like a, uh, a dangerous tightrope to yeah. walk. I sat I was in a pastor's group of pastors
1: that I loved uh, one time a couple years ago. And this conversation came up and I was blown away because I was the only one out of the five or six of us arguing that you could have friends in your church. Really? And I was like, how am I the only one? They were just like, no, you can't. And in fact, one bummer. of the pastors said this and I was, it broke my heart. And I'll tell you how I responded to him after this. He said, uh, he said, in fact, I've gotten to the point where I tell my wife, uh, she can't share what she can and can't share with people who are in our church. Yikes. And I was like, Oh, and I finally stopped them all. And I said, if I can't have friends in my church, I don't want to be a pastor. Hmm. I don't want to. And that's, you know, might be a little bit of personality, but it also gets at this: like, what is? And one of their reasoning was, you're probably going to leave that place at some time. And I was like, why would I want to pastor <laughs> like I'm going to leave sometime? <laughs> right, right. But it, the fact was that I was in the minority in this conversation yeah, of pastors right, in a room, right. and it made me so sad. I'm with you. I, I, I'm probably too vulnerable. But like, it bothers me when I talk to pastors who champion small groups in their church and then aren't in a small group. Yeah, right. I, that's a problem. Uh, Or when they're in their preaching, they're never talking about their own issues and their own. Now, it's not a, you know, I don't have a microphone to do a counseling session and give you all (laughs) my sins. But if my people aren't understanding me at all, that's a problem. And so I, I do think. There are things about the job that if you allow it, it helps build loneliness. Yeah. But I think there's a lot of things about pastors that cause this and that if you're out there and you're a pastor, I think you just
2: got we got we have to do better. Totally. And I'm not saying don't be strategic. Yo, I'm not saying the pulpit is the place to air all your dirty laundry all the time. And that's not what I hear you saying either. Like that's not that's just good practice for being an adult, right? (laughs) Like you don't you don't spill your guts to anyone you bump into at the grocery aisle. That's that's maybe not wise. Yep. But. To say that the infrastructure itself has designed for us an incapability to actually have friends, I think yeah. that's a misunderstanding.
1: But well, we want to help you understand. Just get into the <laughs> into the strange minds of pastors, because you're probably in <laughs> churches out there. Hopefully, that's helpful. You've been listening to the Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. back to the Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. My name is Brian Fromm alongside Ian Simpkins. we fit the part of the show where we're just giggling at each other. People could only be in here.
2: I don't, I don't know that anybody wants to be.
1: Well, on Facebook at the Common Good Radio Show. That's the Common Good Radio Show. Online at 1160hope.com. You can text us at 68683. That's 68683. Type in CG and whatever your comment is. Uh, and you can find our podcast wherever it is you get your podcasts. And... Uh, Get your podcast, get your podcast, (laughs) podcasts over here. Podcast, (laughs) I'll take two. And uh, as Ian likes to always say, uh, he doesn't know how it helps us. Neither do I. But by subscribing and rating, it helps our podcast and helps other people find it more easily. So uh, if you would be so kind as to do Mm. that, uh, you can go ahead. And as a reminder, uh, we've been talking a lot over the last couple of days about our partnership with Food for the Poor uh, you heard Todd Chapman earlier today, Paul Jacobs, the last two days. Uh, if you still feel um, the desire uh, to give and help uh, feed kids for a year and give them water for life for, for minimal amounts of dollars, you can do that by going to 1160 hope dot com. Click on the banner that it's really obvious and you can do it. And friends, uh, the money you give will make a difference. It will go to feeding kids, providing water, changing the lives of families. And I can't think of anything you can do. There is a, a great humanitarian crisis, just a devastating humanitarian crisis going on in the nation of Haiti. Uh, And as Paul Jacobs helped us understand, uh, you can really help make a difference. Well, uh, juxtaposed against food for the poor uh, is a fascinating article that, that you and I found that written by a guy that we love to listen to a guy by the name of Michael Frost. Uh, But in it, He references a a columnist from the Guardian by the name of George Monbiot and George Monbiot, it says, sounds an ominous warning about the global demand for perpetual growth of how we measure things And so in the second year, I want us to listen to a clip about what he's saying as a danger for our country. But what I want to do is then spin it towards how uh, this is a great description of oftentimes our American Christianity uh, and the problem that 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 can become. So let's listen to this quote uh, from George Monbiot.
0: Since when was GDP a sensible measure of human welfare? And yet everything that governments want to do is to try to boost GDP. Now, People like the OECD
2: or the World Bank who say, oh, we're not asking for a lot of growth, just 3% a year. That means doubling in 24 years. Yeah, We're bursting through all the environmental boundaries
0: and screwing the planet already. You want to double it? Double all that. Double it again. Keep doubling it. It's madness. We've got to find a better way of measuring human welfare
2: than perpetual growth.
1: What a powerful statement. We've got to figure out a better way to uh, to gauge human welfare than perpetual growth. And this is in many ways what our country in some ways is built on. It's like, uh, get what you can, continue growth, the American dream. And he's saying, no, there's, there's some other important indicators for how we're doing as a nation or how any nation is doing than just perpetual growth, perpetual economic growth. And Michael Frost does what Michael Frost does, and he takes this Um, this conversation and moves it into the church. And let me just read this, this unbelievable quote from Frost. And then, you know, I'd love to hear your reaction to this. Uh, Frost writes this life on earth, as we know, it will not be destroyed by homosexuality or same sex marriage or abortion rates or chance transgenderism. uh, But we are facing an imminent disaster caused by human sins of greed and overconsumption. Uh, that he's saying that basically the church and Christians are have a part in. And so what he's advocating is not that we don't talk about things like homosexuality, same-sex marriage, abortion, transgenderism, whatever else. He's not saying it's one or the other. He's saying the church can't be silent on issues of greed and overconsumption when in reality we often are and are uh, partaking in it. It's kind of the sins we don't discuss. Why? Why is
2: it that you think that we don't discuss
1: them? Uh, because we're participating in that. <laughs> yeah? It's the same way. When's the last sermon you heard on obesity? It's been a while. Yeah. Because a lot of us are obese <laughs> or at least heading in that direction. We don't talk about those sins when that is a biblical sin of greed, basically. Uh, and oh, this, this kind of, uh, you know, obesity. And, and so I think, and I also think it's the stream that we live in. Like we've made greed to be a good thing. We've made overconsumption to be our right. Uh, whereas Jesus says, you know, think about your neighbor. Like, what is what is your actions doing to your neighbor? That's not really what we've lo- learned our whole lives uh, of the American dream. It's about how do I move myself forward? And so greed and overconsumption can easily be seen uh, as fruits of being successful.
2: I, I don't think that we've made greed a good thing. I think we've rebranded it. I think we know enough mm. that someone, if, if someone just stood in a pulpit and said, hey, greed is good. We would have enough wherewithal to say, no, it's not. What yep. are you talking about? But I we, was talking more as a country. Right. And then I think we move into that. But keep going. But but we call it uh, ambition or we call mm. it drive. And so I, th- I think when we mask these things with different terminology, it's way sneakier. It's way easier to uh, to be blinded by their effects when we just couch them with different language and branding. And mm. I think that is probably true of all sins, Right. And there's a reason that, you know, like in, uh, was it William Bennett's Book of Virtues, that one of them is pride, not humility. It's the thing mm-hmm. that we, you know, and we've talked a little bit on the show about the difference uh, between, you know, healthy and unhealthy pride. Yep. It's okay to have pride in your kid or pride in your team or whatever. But I think because it is the thing that's celebrated, um, you know, I think it's Andy Stanley that says what's rewarded is repeated. Mm. And so we can say all we want that we stand for this, but what, what we often reward um, I mean, even talking about some of the spiritual disciplines, we talk about uh, the Sermon on the Mount, and you know, we celebrate uh, you know meekness or patience. Right. Or, but look around your boardroom, or look around your staff meetings. The people who tend to climb the ranks the fastest are the loudest, the ones who speak first, and the ones who are most aggressive. And and I don't think any of those things are inherently mm-hmm. sinful. But people aren't dumb. They they see what's rewarded. They see mm, they good. see that people. Uh, either with accolades or other metrics. And uh, so at at one point, uh, at some point, I think what what, what Frost is getting at is we we can't just give lip service to these things. We have to actually create infrastructures that that find a way forward. Yeah, Frost writes,
1: And the church, which for so long called its members to abstinence, temperance, and moderation, seems to be as infected uh, by the spirit of greed, indulgence, and overconsumption that's that's damning because yeah. i think and it it does come back i love the way you frame that as in what you what you uh, reward uh is what has perpetuated the sin yeah. repeated thank yep. you uh because you made the right point like uh rightfully so christians right now are standing up and talking about abortion and and debating the things about same sex marriage like all of those are important yeah but we are not given the the liberty or the freedom to pick and choose the uh the sins that we talk about and so you can't read the gospels and go, you know what? I Jesus was a little ambiguous on greed. Like Jesus was a little, no, he wasn't. <laughs> Jesus was like, lay down your life for your neighbor. Uh, love your neighbor as yourself. Like that's hard to do being, uh, uh, greedy and somebody who's over-consuming. No, instead, Jesus is like, care more about the other. And so the question then becomes, we have to look in the mirror as individuals and as the, the big C church and say, is that the um, reputation, uh, the identity of today's church in in a culture that seems to be obsessed with greed and consumption and this and that? Or are
2: we kind of in the flow of culture? I don't think it's either or. I think there are plenty of churches, actually, that are are opting out of the stream and are really loving their neighbor and laying down their life and, I think, dying to themselves. I think that is happening. To be honest, I don't want to be one of those pastors that says, man, everybody everywhere is totally missing it. We're all all doomed. Sure. I think there are plenty. And people that I know, people that you know, I think are doing this really well. I also think what we define as greed like part of the difficulty of quoting Jesus there is that it's still pretty nebulous what does it mean to lay down your life to mm-hmm. some of these things you know how how we define what's greedy or over, overindulgent in one context may not be somewhere else the problem there is that you're letting the context define the act which can be really you know problematic and i remember even i shared a couple of weeks ago about talking with a friend back home and i was complaining about some other bigger church and some extravagant thing they did and in that conversation, I mentioned, you know, something about our coffee. And he was like, wait, you have coffee every Sunday? <laughs> and I was like, yeah. And he goes, man, I, what I wouldn't give is to be able to have coffee every Sunday in my church. So what I realized I was doing was complaining yeah. about the overindulgence of a different church. And the baseline for me was like, well, you we got to have coffee. And he, you know, he he's in a different context thinking, oh, I would love to be able to have yeah. that. And so I, I think yeah. it, we need to be careful too, not to, uh, to, you know, p- to maybe pull the planks out of our own eyes too. too. And, uh, that's always, I think, an important thing to keep, intention there, but I think I think Frost is really onto something.
1: And I think, I guess I would leave it at this, uh, if you're out there and you say, you know what, I am actively trying to root out greed in my life, and I'm having those conversations as I look in the mirror, then I'm good with saying, you know what, it looks different for everybody, absolutely. I just know, maybe I'm, or maybe I'm letting up too much of what I don't talk to myself about. Uh, I don't know if I can, in good conscience, say, you know what, I'm really battling greed in my life. I'm battling, whereas I will battle other things. And I think uh, we as individual Christ followers and as a church that that needs to be, especially in a culture we live in, we need to battle. And that needs to be kind of high on the list. We'll come up next. Uh, we are excited to talk to Chip Huber. Chip Huber is the associate vice president for student development and athletics at Cornerstone university. We're going to talk about uh, the people he spends most of his time with college students, millennials, the next generation. We're excited to do that on the common good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. <music> to The Common Good on AM 1160 Hope for Your Life alongside Ian Simpkins. My name is Brian Fromm and we're excited that you're joining us today. Uh, You can follow us on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show online at 1160hope.com and you can always text us at 68683 that's 68683 type in CG followed uh, by your comedy and one of the things you and i have most enjoyed about doing this show or you always like when i speak for you so i'll speak for myself <laughs> one of the things i've enjoyed and it seems like you've enjoyed is when we get to have friends on friends who know what they're talking about and be able to uh have conversations with them and with well, that in a, mind a
2: friend is a friend forever brian if, it, when the lord's the lord of the them. lord's the lord of them yeah
1: <laughs> with that in mind uh, i'd like to welcome my friend a uh, friend for a long time a guy by the name of chip hubert the uh, chip thanks for joining us man Thanks,
4: Brian. Yeah, it's great to be with you guys.
1: Absolutely. So let me give you Chip's long title. Chip is the uh, <laughs> Chip is the associate vice president for student development and athletics uh, at Cornerstone University in Michigan. And so, uh, we there you go. We joked with him off air that go. hopefully a long title comes with a with a long paycheck as well. But well I'm guessing that's not the case at the college. Uh, Chip. Yep. Uh, Ian and I are constantly, it feels like, at least once a show, talking about the faith of the millennials, the faith of yeah. the next generation. And so we thought it'd be fun to have you on because that's who you work with. Yeah, uh, and so definitely. before we dive into it, just kind of give us kind of a, a 50,000 foot, what you, seeing, what you see going on in the next generation. These college kids or just out of college. What do you see going on with their faith and their passions?
4: Yeah, I think, you know, it's such a such a good question and something that I think, you know, it's constantly sort of in the process of changing and evolving. Um, mm. You know, one of the things, Brian, again that I'm seeing really, and I've seen even in the last couple of years is this kind of belief that our faith among this next generation of Christians, that it has to engage our culture and the issues that our culture cares about mm. in a way that's, um, you know, significant, and that ultimately, you know, will kind of allow us to have more productive and beneficial conversations about, you know, some issues that maybe I think typically in the church and in the faith, maybe we've separated from that, and yeah. our faith hasn't allowed us to have some of those conversations, you know. and I, I think about, honestly, issues like politics, hmm. climate change, science, immigration, You know, even, you know, some of the more traditional pro-life movement questions, all those things. I'm seeing more and more of these young Christians saying, hey, we've got to be able to have these conversations with people and contribute to them in really winsome and helpful ways. Mm -hmm. Um, Or else, you know, in some ways, like if our faith can't have those conversations, then is it really something that's meaningful and beneficial to the world and transformative in, in a lot of ways, how they think, you know, I think scripture calls us to live and what it's Mm. ultimately designed to do.
2: So one of the things that I know about a lot of pastors that I talk to specifically regarding this topic is that I think they would agree with everything you just said, and they don't know how to actually do it. Like most (laughs) churches don't seem to be set up for conversation space. The most traditional is you show up on a Sunday and there's some music and someone talks at you and then we go home and uh, maybe at best they'll say, oh, in small groups, that's, that's where those happen. Like, what advice or coaching uh, or hope would you give to, to churches and church leaders? Like, I want to have these conversations. How do, I, how do I do that?
4: Yeah, you know, it, it's interesting, you guys. I just came back from an event that I actually took some college students to called the Q Conference. I don't know if you guys mm-hmm. have ever yeah. heard of that. It's run yeah. by, a guy, it's heard by a guy named Gabe Lyons, and, you know, we heard probably 35 to 40 speakers. And, you Providing resources and oftentimes looking at issues on both sides of it, you know, and saying, hey, when you look at an issue like, of all things, like, you know, <laughs> democratic socialism versus capitalism, mm. well, that's a big issue yeah. for the next generation of Christians and non Christians. How do we engage that topic well? How do we hear both sides? And, you know, Q obviously is one of those places that I literally go to in terms of resources, there's all kinds of online videos conversations, resources but I think a lot of it honestly is pretty simple is like you know could people in our churches with this next generation and even with the you know their own generation of Christians say hey we're gonna let's read something together, let's talk about something together. let's make space for that kind of a little forum in our church to have these conversations and mm-hmm. I, I know that you're right it goes outside I think the typical notion of what we think yeah. and kind of what we're used to doing. But at least from my experience, those are the conversations that people are longing for now in a world where they're saturated, right, with news and ideas about Mm. this every day from social media. They're saying, what is the church's response? Do we have the capacity to think through this and respond really well?
1: Yeah. And now maybe you could speak also to that uh, the older generations, right? The baby boomers yeah. and others, yeah. which you and I are very quickly getting towards. <laughs> very much so, right? Uh, you know, it's always, you know, you read online or something and everyone's like, oh, just those millennials or those snowflakes or whatever else it might be. And there seems to be this growing divide between the generations. Maybe paint a picture of what it looks like for somebody in an older generation to go, you know what, I play a role here uh, in helping these younger generations kind of understand their faith and kind of yeah, continue yeah. to grow.
4: Definitely. And I think, you know, here's an interesting thing. So I turned 50 this year, you guys. Oh, and, congratulations. You know, right? Okay, so you're old guy status, right, officially. And, you know, I think a lot of people would be like, "What does a 20-year-old, the people that you're working with, do they even want to listen to you? Do they care about what you think? And mm. I would say they long for somebody who – Takes a posture of, hey, let's learn together about these mm. things. And that I think is the difference. I don't have to have all the answers. I don't have to, but I've, I, I have watched my own faith, my own journey be enriched deeply by looking at and having some of these conversations, by, you know, participating in a service project together, by traveling mm. on a global trip, all those things and saying, I really want to enter into this space because you and I are both followers of Jesus. And how can you help me learn? And how can I help you learn? Right. And then I think naturally that produces some of those conversations where it's like, Hey Chip, what have you thought about this situation? Or what yeah. about leadership in this capacity? And it, it, it becomes a very natural sort of organic conversation that frankly I think both sides really benefit from. Yeah. I know I do in addition to the to the influence and impact that I'm able to have in the role that I have in their lives.
2: I totally agree. I remember the first time a mentor of mine asked me a question and then paused to actually hear the response. I, <laughs> I, I was 19. I couldn't believe it, and I asked him. I said, yeah. oh, you actually care what I think about this? He goes, yeah, that's why I asked it. That was so transformative yeah. for me because I so looked up to him and saw him as a yeah. source of wisdom. Why, why do you think it's so rare for the uh, for older generations to – really truthfully ask these questions and actually want to hear the answers
4: i i think in some ways Ian. i think we've almost been conditioned right to think that we're supposed to have it all figured out Mm. and we're supposed to get to this stage of sort of this place where hey we've got all the answers instead of saying like no i think the the life of faith is this constant lifelong, you know, journey of learning and growing and developing and maturing and becoming more like Christ. And that has been incredibly freeing for me to say, I don't have to be the one who has all the answers. And students, even my students don't want that. They want somebody who's still, they see is still searching, still challenging, still growing, and still kind of trying to have their faith become more and more vibrant in their lives.
1: Hmm. Yeah. Uh, Chip, in like the last minute we have or so, as pastors, we're constantly reading articles about how the next generation is fleeing the church, uh, you know, yeah. the rise of the nuns, all of this. Uh, right. So maybe in the last minute we have just uh, somebody who's in the trenches and working with this age group. Uh, are you hopeful for the church of the future? What is it that
0: gives you uh, hope?
4: You know, I, I really am. I mean, I I'm probably more hopeful now than I was 10 years ago. And that sounds strange to say you're right because of, I think, all the stuff we read. But a lot of that goes with I see a deep, deep longing for a faith that's real and authentic and that produces real fruit in our world Mm -hmm. and in people's lives. I see this deep longing to love one's neighbor that, in the way that Jesus called us to do. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I believe that many, many students do believe in and love and have a passion for the church. Um, And it's going to maybe do some things differently than we did in terms of worship and in terms of a whole lot of other things. But I, I, you know, I couldn't be more hopeful in a lot of ways because of the way that I see my students living that out in a very real way already.
1: That's awesome, man. We love your optimism. (laughs) Thanks for that. That is encouraging for us. You've been listening to Chip Huber. Chip is the Associate Vice President for Student Development and Athletics at Cornerstone University. Hey, friend, thanks so much for joining us. We'll have you on again sometime. That sounds great guys. Love what you're doing. Thanks. Thanks, Chip. Have a great day. All right. So yeah. Well you're listening to the common good on AM eleven sixty. Hope for your life. Welcome back to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. We're grateful for you joining us today. You can kind of continue the conversation with us on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show. That's The Common Good Radio Show. Online at 1160hope.com. You can text us at 68683. That's 68683. And uh, you can also find us online at 1160 Hope or wherever it is that you get your podcast. And we'll just mention one more time before our show is out today that you can continue to make donations and support for food for the poor by going to 1160 Hope dot com. That's 1160 Hope dot com. And right there on the banner, you will be able to give to to uh, feed, give food for a year and water for life uh, to families and particularly children Uh, in the place of Haiti, where there's just a humanitarian crisis going on. So uh, we thank you in advance for doing that. Uh, Well, Ian, one of the things we enjoy doing uh, is highlighting uh, Facebook posts or Twitter threads or whatever else, things that we are seeing uh and uh it won't be the first time that i said one of the fascinating things that i saw was on your page oh thanks you're welcome and so uh, i wanted to have a little bit of a discussion about that so why don't you give the the story and the background to what you were posting about just within the last day couple days yeah and uh Yesterday. and kind of the uh, the revealing thing it was for you and can be for all of us
2: one of the things that uh, i have always really loved about being a pastor is People feel so inclined to share with you some of the the deepest, darkest parts of their journey, both past and current. And, uh, I, I, we've both talked about this. I don't take that lightly at all. Like it really is, it's a weight for sure, but it is also really an honor to be included, um, to be trusted with yeah. some of these stories. And, you know, I've been a pastor for 16 years now and, um, Certainly throughout that time, people have shared with me things that they found really difficult, not just about their faith, but about being a Christian and why they walked away entirely. And so I I posted this question yesterday. Uh, I said, what are some things that make it difficult for you to be a Christian or what pushed you away from slash turned you off to it? Or why have you never been interested in it at all? And I said, this is an honest inquiry. I truly want and need to learn and I could not have expected uh, the level of honesty that I got pretty, pretty quickly, yeah. because some of these comments are are very raw. And before you, you do,
1: before you do the comments, let me just uh, kind of applaud you that a you have the types of friends following you. Uh, it's not this shows that it's just not all Christian. It's all your tribe on your page, but yeah. also that people would believe you like, hey, I honestly want to know. Oh, thanks. Because they're about to tell you. <laughs> and so what, what was some of that uh, some of the feedback that you got?
2: Well, it's interesting too because a number of people messaged me privately too. They said, "I don't, I, I'm, right. I'm nervous about who might see this, or who might be offended, or who might think I'm talking about them, and I'm not." But I just want to. So I got a, a number of, of private messages wow. that day as well. Um, but you know, it, it really ranged. It was, uh, it was from people that have left and come back. Um, people who were raised in one tradition and kind of found their way back in a different tradition. Um, but there are plenty of people like, this is why I left for good. This is why I have no interest at all. And um, I mean, it's it's 132 comments so far, but it it is, it. I, without being too dramatic, um, I read every single one of them. Uh, some of them brought me to tears, wow. like actual tears. Some of them led me to just simply pray with and for some of the comments I'm seeing. And it's led to some really a healthy discussion between some other church leaders in the area that is, Hey, could I, could I use that question? Could I, could I adapt that from my context? Because I think, I think it is showing wow. some, some of the honesty that we're reading here that that can't be an isolated incident. Like if somebody on your friend list is responding this way, my guess is somebody in my church is probably feeling that way too. So I think it's been interesting to see some of the ways that my, my pastor friends have responded with a ton of humility and a ton of like I had no idea. Like we were saying earlier, sometimes you get caught in the stream of your work as a pastor. It can be easy to forget that these stories exist. And some of them are so Mm. heartbreaking. They're so painful. And some of them are very, very specific. Yep. Like someone really wronged them Mm. and they trusted that person. And that person for them represented the whole spiritual machine. So they stepped away. But a lot of it had to do with just perpetuation of hypocrisy or a lack of accountability or money mismanagement or Um, And some of it gets very political, obviously. Some of it gets very theological. I just I can't be a part of a system that holds this conclusion. Yeah. Um. To which I'd say there's you know there's a rich diversity even under the Christian umbrella. You know, with a lot of these issues. But uh, yeah, a lot of it really, really came down to this idea of like just you know it seemed like Christians always have to be on, or they're always trying to you know convey some sort of persona, and it seems like a lot a lot of it came down to. Uh, a lack of just true raw honest vulnerability and mm. uh, and I think there's plenty of there's plenty of grace here too for people like I know that this tradition is never going to agree with this yep. conclusion that I've come to or they're never going to vote this way but this um, this idea though that like it's it felt like an act to them and once they, once they had felt like they'd seen behind the curtain they just didn't want to be a part of it anymore.
1: Did other friends of yours on this post start engaging people? Uh, Uh hopefully not arguing, but did they start engaging, trying to answer questions or trying to do this? Or was it just a lot of, Oh, I'm sorry you went
2: through that. No, I'm glad you brought that up, man, because I was, I don't think, I don't think proud is the right word, but I'm going to use it anyway. I felt really proud, um, by the general posture and temperament of the comments because it could have gotten, you're right. That's part of the risk of commenting at all is it could have gotten ugly yeah. really quickly. A lot of and defensiveness, a lot of... Right, yeah, yeah. right. Or like you said on the other side, just like, oh, so sorry to hear that. Like, it was so much more... I mean, it was people saying, oh my goodness, I've experienced something similar to that as well. Here's what I found helpful. Or, um, hey, I don't know you, but I just want you to know that I'm praying for your story. Yeah. It really resonated with me. Like, I just felt really... Um, honor that any of that would take place at all on a place that can be so volatile like yep. Facebook. Um, so at the same time, yeah, it was, it was really heartbreaking. And so much of this honestly felt like a punch in the stomach, but the other part felt like, Oh, there's some real hope here too. Yeah. There There is some beautiful aspects to that. So it, I didn't leave totally despondent, but it did for me, it did really, uh, I left with the conclusion that we need to do better at having conversations like these mm. and not just having them, but creating spaces for them. And I think, uh, and your buddy Chip had kind of alluded to that too. Like this, particularly the generations coming behind us. Uh, if the church doesn't figure this out, how, how to disagree well, yep. how to create space for someone to say, I don't believe any of this and no one freaks out. Yeah. Like I, I think we, we, yeah, that's one of the big takeaways for me was that I think a lot of these people, the reason they responded is that they had, they hadn't felt like anybody had ever given them space to really weigh in on
1: that question, yeah, and you, you start on it here, um, but that was going to be my next question for you. What are what is the takeaway for you? Not as a friend, what's the takeaway for you as a pastor? Uh, and I hear you saying we need to create spaces like this. What does that look like practically? I'm sure you're still trying to figure that out. But what are some ideas of what that could look like practically?
2: Well, so the curveball was that I asked this exact question two years ago to the day, mm-hmm. and so after I had let people weigh in for a while, I then posted. Um, that original post from two years ago and a lot of the people had also commented on that two years ago Uh, i said so i asked this exact same question same kind of responses i said one are we doing any better two how how has your heart changed in the last two years and and it just solidified for me the need and that social media is just a small teeny tiny piece of the whole puzzle um but honestly and this sounds silly in this context to say but like I hesitated whether or not I should pose this question. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like I, there's fear on my end, like, Oh boy, that's a can of worms. Do I, you know, it just kind of solidified and affirmed like, okay, we need to keep leaning in as, as not just as pastors or yep. leaders, but just as people and humans and friends. So like, okay, there will be times where we're going to be tempted to say, ah, I'm just not going to bring it up. I'm not going to ask. And sometimes that's wisdom. A lot of times it's cowardice yep. and to say, okay, because some of these comments, i I could get very defensive. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like the, they're talking about the church and this thing that you and I have given our life to, and yep. like, hey, don't talk about Jesus that way. Yep. Th- that all of that temptation is still there, which is often why I feel tempted to not ask it at all. Yep. To keep asking the questions though, and keep actually listening. Because mm-hmm. I think so often we listen to respond, not listen to understand. So I ask a question, and while you're talking, yep. I'm like formulating my comeback or my retort and to just step back and say, Hey, we're creating a space. Um, where are you at? Where are you at? Where's your yeah. journey taking you? And I think uh, that's, that's easier said than done, but really, really necessary. Absolutely. If you're
1: out there and that resonates with you when, when Ian's going uh, at literally the question he asked, like what, what made you walk away? Uh, yeah. And you're like, Oh, that's me. Well, we'd love to hear from you. You can text us and w- Ian and I are the ones who get these texts. So six eight six eight three. 68683 type in CG and then we would love to hear from you. You can do it on our Facebook page at the Common Good Radio Show. Send us, you know, a private message on our Facebook page and we would love to interact with you in that way as well. Thanks for being open, man. And uh that that is helpful. It's got my mind going as a pastor, of, okay, how are ways glad. I can grow in this? Well, uh, coming up next, we're going to end the show the way we always do with some laughs from the Internet, some stories that we have found. That's what's coming up next on The Common Good on AIM 1160. Hope for your life.
4: Here's some weird stuff we found on the Internet. <clears throat> Here's some more weird stuff we found on the Web.
1: Welcome back to The Common Good on AIM 1160. Hope for your life. Alongside Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm, and we're at that time of the show. Where we are at the mercy of Keith Conrad, our executive producer. You're at his mercy for the crazy stories he has found on the on the internet, the interwebs,
2: as you like to say. We're at his mercy anyway. Good this is not the only segment like, we're particularly at Particularly in this segment. Mm, it's in full form. So for those of you who are new to the show,
1: uh, our executive producer finds us a couple different crazy stories. Sometimes they're funny. Sometimes they're dark. Just funny things from the internet. Half of them usually happen in Florida. And uh, and then uh, he'll have a fun bite to go with it. Uh, but when when we read these, you are when you hear these for the first time, we are reading these for
2: the first time. So that is our always our disclaimer. I played uh, bass in the, the fun bite for a summer. <laughs> Good one. All right, you go first. All right. Here we go. This one's out of England, so I'm going to do it in an accent. Nope. Okay, well. <laughs> Diners mistakenly serve nearly $6,000 bottle of rare French wine. Oh. Wait, no, go with the accent. Try it. Diners mistakenly <laughs> serve nearly $6,000 bottle of rare French wine. I don't, that was like six different English that was accents. Good. That and was a good. And they nearly... mistake, a couple dining at a British restaurant drank the wrong bottle of wine when a manager meant to serve them a $300 bottle of red instead. The mix-up happened Wednesday night when a couple ordered a 2001 blah, 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 who cares? It was a very busy night at the restaurant and a very simple mistake, (laughs) disagree, and a member of staff picked up the wrong bottle, Mm. mistaking it for another Bordeaux of the same vintage Restaurant spokesperson Irina Pagarjardin. Uh, I can't even say it. the bottle staff grabbed it. Uh, oh, it's so much! I've never even I've never even eaten a th- even drank a three hundred dollar bottle of wine, let no. a six thousand dollar bottle of wine.
3: I'm fired, aren't I? Oh yes. <laughs>
1: <laughs> New York. Millions of Americans believe this about chocolate milk. Apparently, joking with your kids that chocolate milk comes from brown cows is something that will stick with them for life taking a study the trade association discovered that 7% of Americans believe this falsehood which translates to roughly 16.4 million people according to one study done by the U.S. Department of Agriculture in the 1990s one in five Americans didn't know that hamburgers came from beef while another showed that nearly a third of elementary schools didn't know school kids didn't know cheese was made from milk I weep for the future (laughs)
2: That is concerning. Uh, France. I'm getting all the foreign ones. Yeah, today. go with the accent again. I don't think I can do a French one. Nope. Wee uh, wee. Oui, oui. Sheep enrolled at school in France as students to save classes. Ba black sheep. Have you completed your homework? <laughs> oh, gosh. <laughs> a farmer in France has taken a unique idea to boost student numbers at a primary school, enrolling 15 sheep to save classes that were at risk of being canceled. Herder uh, Michael Gerard. Gir- Gerard. That's an E. Giro- the, Gerard. Gerard. So let's spend the rest of the segment trying to pronounce his last name. Is his name. first
1: name Herder or is that his job?
2: <laughs> <laughs> I would love it. it Herder Michael Gerard with the help of his dog escorted 50 sheep in tow on Tuesday, 15 of which are uh, now registered as students after showing their birth certifications according to Sky News.
4: Baran U. Baran
0: U.
2: Do your
0: breed,
2: your
1: fleece, be true. Sheep be true, you. <laughs> the question is: Going back to an earlier show this week, do you think of the sheep that there is a valedictorian, <laughs> a, a valedictorian? <laughs> <laughs> ah, Florida, all is made right in the world. Suspected arsonist leads chase through Florida in General Lee replica. A man driving a Dodge Charger painted like the General Lee, uh, painted to look like the General Lee from the Dukes of Hazard TV show, led deputies on a chase Tuesday night after he set fire to his wife's home. Huh. Wouldn't that be his home as well? <laughs> uh, Oswell Pereira, 44 of Moorestown, faces charges of arson, fleeing, and attempting to elude law enforcement, resisting without violence, and three counts of aggravated assault with a deadly weapon. Uh, Officials said he set fire to a home in southwest Marion County before leading deputies on a chase. Flames ripped through the roof of the home where he got into an argument with his ex-wife. There you go. Before starting the blaze, Uh, a pursuit was then led uh, in which he had the number 74 painted on the sides of the car and he began driving quickly. Pereira ran into a mobile home and was arrested. (laughs) (laughs)
2: Yeah, that sounds about right. All right. Last but not least, Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania. Three high school administrators suspended after school prank. That doesn't tell us a whole lot. A high school principal, vice principal, and senior advisor are all suspended from a district in North Cumberland County because a high school prank gone wrong. Seniors at... Shake, shake, lammy, shake, shake, lammy. High shake, I'm going to shake, Sure, <laughs> unleashed a dozen chickens inside the school. Oh, there it is. There it is. And, it, <laughs> and it didn't turn out well. The senior prank has been a tradition of shake, for nearly forty years, but never before has a prank resulted in the suspension of three high school administrators. Flip desks, toilet papered hallways, and a dozen chickens left in classrooms overnight. And the superintendent says 16 seniors at the high school were responsible. It was supposed to be part of a school prank, which was supervised by the school's senior advisor. But the superintendent says it got out of hand. There was a lot of toilet paper, a lot of Vaseline on the handles of doors. And there were chickens <laughs> called Brian Snyder, a shickle of a high school senior not involved in the prank.
0: You just bought yourself another Saturday, mister. Crushed. You just bought one more right there. Well, I'm free the Saturday after that. Beyond that, I'm going to have to check my calendar. Good. <laughs> <laughs>
1: that's a good one. I really do enjoy ending the shows that way. <laughs> it's really do. fun. Well, we're glad that you joined us today again. For Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. You've been listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life.